If you would, please take your Bibles out and open them up to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 4, in fact. And I would imagine that John 4 would be a relatively familiar passage to most of us who've been reading the Bible for any amount of time. In fact, one simply need to mention the woman at the well, and we know exactly, most Christians know exactly what that's in reference to. It's in reference to John chapter 4 where, in fact, Jesus does meet a Samaritan woman at the well. And if you're visiting with us this morning, it is, my, it is our practice here at the chapel to preach verse by verse, book by book, but on communion Sundays, we typically take a break from our normal exposition, and we preach a sermon that's more of a devotion style that goes hand in hand with our communion service that we do on the first Sunday of every month, and that's what we're doing today. And I've chosen John chapter 4 because it's in keeping with the series that I've been doing called Iconic Passages from the Bible, where we've looked at these very familiar texts to remember why exactly they become familiar and iconic to us. Because it's so easy to forget why the 23rd Psalm is so rich and beautiful, or why John 3.16 is such a vibrant gospel text. And when you get to John chapter 4, early on in his gospel, you're dealing with something that he says about God's person, God is spirit. But then he says, but believers worship God in spirit and in truth. How many of us have heard that a million times? And how many of us think we could adequately explain what it means? Because it's so often we can hear these things and we can uh, we think through that we know exactly what the gospel writer or the writer might be getting at, but they become so familiar to us that we forget exactly what does he mean when he says true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. And how profound is it that he's talking to a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day? All those things matter. The way in which the story unfolds, it matters. And so this morning in preparation for the supper, in preparation for us as believers in the Lord taking the Lord's Supper together, we're going to meditate on this passage of Scripture. Now, this morning, I'm primarily going to read verses 16 to 26 out of John 4, but I'm actually only going to be talking about verses 20 to 26. What I'm doing is I'm going to do this telescopically. I'm going to give us a broad overview, then I'm going to hone in just a little bit, and then I'm going to get to the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. That's my goal this morning. So this morning, without further delay, follow along with me in your words, starting in John chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Very obvious statement there. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship 
in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So as the reading of God's Word, may he add his blessing. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for its richness. Thank you for its depth. Thank you for its beauty. Be with us now as we open it together, as we meditate on it, as we ingest this Word. And may it transform us into people whose conviction is that we worship in spirit and in truth. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Now, if you back up from what I've just read to you, I started in the middle of the paragraph, which is not ideal. So if you back up from what I just read to you and you were to do a quick survey of really the first 15 verses of this chapter, what we know is, is that Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing and making more disciples. And so Jesus has given a little discourse on that, very small. But then he makes this he, he says that he needs to go, that they need to go um, to… So, he, he leaves Judea. They're going to go again to Galilee. And as a good Jew, as a good Hebrew, it would have been very easy for them to go around uh, uh, Samaria, the Samaritans, which they often did. But Jesus chose to go right through. And what we know from what we've just read is that choice to go right through has a very intentional… It's very intentional. It's purpose-filled. Jesus has what we'll call a providential, a divine appointment, if you will, with a woman at a well in midday who happens to be a Samaritan woman. So this woman from Samaria, Jesus knows, will be there to draw water. And so he meets her at this well. He asks her for a drink. She's perplexed. Why are you, who is a Hebrew, who's Jewish, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? To which Jesus begins then to get to the heart of the conversation. Well, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would be asking me for a drink of living water. And that's where it really begins. Because Jesus begins talking on a level to this woman that she's consistently missing or sidestepping. Those two things are happening constantly throughout this conversation. So how you know this She asks in verse 15, sir, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty again. She still thinks he's talking about literal water. And what does Jesus do? Go call your husband and come here. He's well aware that the man that she's living with is not her husband. He's beginning to get to the heart of who she is. What what must define us as worshipers of God? What, at the very least, beloved, we have to come face to face with the sin component in life. When we look at the table before us, what we have to be confronted with is it represents a body and blood. It is symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that had to be given and sacrificed so that we could be made right with God. And so when Jesus is about to talk to her about true worship, where does he begin? He begins with her sin. Because he's mean? No. Because he's sadistic and loves to see people squirm? No. But he understands that for worship to be true and spirit-filled, we've got to begin with dealing with sin. We've got to begin with putting our own hearts before the mirror of the Lord and asking, 
Are we genuine? Are we true? Are we really trusting in Christ for salvation? That's where worship has to begin. And I love that Jesus is taking her there immediately. Look, he's not sugarcoating anything. It's easy to read these words and think, oh, this was very kind. And it was kind. He wasn't mean. But it's very straightforward. He sees this woman whom, whom Jews did not have relationships with in any form. And he asks her immediately about something that is deeply sinful. He's beginning to expose the inner parts of her so that she can understand what is it really that she needs. She needs Christ. What is the table before us this morning belting out to us? We need Christ. And so I love, he set the table. So he tells her, go call your husband and come here. What does she do? What Christians do? She says, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, i.e., you're living in sin. Right? The guy you're living with is not really whom you should be with. It's not right. But notice now, what does she say? Well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You just read my mail. And you talk about one of those obvious statements in Scripture. Uh, these, these are the ones that just make me chuckle. I've told you before. Uh, you, you know, why did you hide from us, Adam? Well, because we're naked. Naked. I just, my, my Alabama-ness just came out. You hear that? Naked. Um, naked. And Okay, go ahead. Get it out of your system. <laughs> I am from Alabama. It comes out every so often. Sometimes I do say naked instead of naked. Or you might hear me say toilet instead of toilet. Um, another day for another time. Or jail sale. Um, <clears throat> anyway, back in. Let's rein it in. Um, where was I? Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then what does she do? She launches into, our father said we worship on this mountain. You say we, true worship is in Jerusalem. What does she do? This is a good Christian thing. When someone really starts reading your mail and getting into the heart of who you are, you divert. A uh, good theological debate is much easier than actually putting my heart on display and having to deal with the depths of who I am. Jesus is not there to unduly condemn her. He is there to call sin what it is, but He is there to capture her as a worshiper, not to simply shame her, not to simply uh, put her on display as a byword of, hey, don't be like her. It's uh, you are in a place of lostness. You are in a place where you need to be found, and I want you to be found. I want to give you the tools to understand what it is. You are created for so much more than to live in an adulterous affair with this man. You are created for something much more beautiful than that to be a reflection of God, and to be a worshiper. This is the message that Jesus is bringing to bear on this woman. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. So let's put away all the theological debate because the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in, Jer in Jerusalem will you worship the Father you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. That is correct. Jesus was Jewish. He is the Messiah. Salvation came through Christ. He's telling her the reality of all this, of all of the truth that he's bringing to bear. The hour is coming, but look, not just coming. Now, keep in mind, in John's gospel, the hour is key. 
My time is not yet come in John 2. In John 13, when his time had come, he laid aside his outer garments and he tied a towel around his waist. What is he saying here? The hour is coming and now is. Why is it now? Because Christ is in her midst. Because Christ stands before her. The one who brings to bear what true worship is, the one who makes manifest God who is spirit, is now right in front of her. And so the time is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now, why does He say that? Why does He say for people to worship Him in spirit and truth? Because He's given us what would be the overarching point of this devotional this morning. He's giving us a a picture, a view to genuine worship. What is genuine worship? Is it having the right song choice? Is it having the right seats? Is it having the right instrumentation? Is it having words on the screen or a hymn book? Is it singing songs from a certain era while we avoid others? Is it singing songs by a certain author while we avoid others? Is that what makes worship genuine? No, not even remotely. Should we sing God-honoring songs? Absolutely. Should we be mindful with how our posture and how we execute worship? Do we want Steve and and Mason and and Joel and Jeffrey and Gardner and Amanda and Rachel and anybody else who's up here, do we want them to lead well and with excellence? Absolutely. But that's not what makes worship happen. Worship begins in the heart of who we are. And worship is much larger than singing songs. Worship… He tells us here, we'll worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus is getting into what it means to live a life, quorum Deo. You've heard me use that phrase before, before the face of God. What does it mean for us to be genuine in our relationship with who Jesus is? Well, beloved of God, Jesus says, once, we, once we, our sin is exposed and we are redeemed, it has to begin with worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, it's key here. Why does he say that? Well, in verse 24, he says, God is spirit, right? That's an identity statement. This is not God is like a spirit. God is comparable to spirit. He doesn't say that God is spiritual. He says God is spirit, ontological, identity, in the same way that God is love, Those are identity statements about who God is. And so if God is spirit, it's natural, it flows, that we would worship God in spirit and truth. Now, you may have a translation that says, worship God in spirit and in truth. It it uses that preposition there twice. That's not present in the Greek text. That is one prepositional phrase, in spirit and truth. Do you know why? Because Jesus through the pen of John, is not trying to bifurcate or make a neat distinction between spirit or truth. He's using those together to form one idea. One idea. If God is spirit, it makes sense that our worship would be in spirit and truth because um, Jesus also makes a statement of being in this gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And so if we're going to be worshipers, that is, people who have been rescued from sin and death, people who have been bought back from the flesh and from the world, and who live our lives before the face of God with a posture of worship, then the overarching description of said worship should be in spirit and truth. And so what does that mean? Well, in one sense, if God is spirit, that means we are connecting with Him as spirit. In other words, I was at a church service one time many, many, many years ago, where during the worship service, they sang the Beatles, I want to hold your hand. And the idea was, we just want to hold the hands with God. Now, I like the Beatles. Um, this, I don't love the Beatles, but I like them. And, and I like some of their songs. In fact, I kind of like that song. Is it really a worship song? Well, no, because it's missing the point of what it means to relate with God. Do I want to hold God's hand? I don't know, man. When God told Moses, you can't look at me or you're going to die, maybe we don't want to hold God's hand right yet. Maybe we want to wait on that one until we're glorified. And so it misses the heart. I get it that you want to have a relationship with God, but you know what? Can I just say this? Then just say that, right? Just say that. Hey, we should have a relationship with God. We don't have to spruce it up to make people go, yeah, man, that's catchy. If that's what we're aiming for, we're missing what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. So when we worship in spirit and in truth, we want to connect with God on a spiritual level. That means not just an external level as in carpet or chairs or instrument or stage or building or aesthetics. Aesthetics are good. I'm not, I'm not downplaying aesthetics. But when we connect with God, we want to connect at a level of heart so that when we are broken, so that when we are going through trials of immense pain, and I mean immense pain, maybe you're dealing with the reality of you've suffered abuse in your past, maybe you have gone through a horrific relational break, maybe you have been constantly disappointed by God, maybe you are having to walk through the valley of death, whatever the case may be. You see, if we let worship remain external, it'll affect how we worship. But when we worship God in spirit, that means is at a heart level, then our goal is not to feel good or like aesthetically what we're doing. It's to find our connection with God is almost natural, that we are now connecting with the Lord at heart level because that's what He's designed us to do. And what is truth? Beloved, if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, where it must begin is grounding it in the truth of what the Bible says about God, about us, and about worship. The Bible is very clear. If you read uh, Paul's letter to the first Corinthians, he gives us many, 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 many instructions about what God-honoring, spirit-filled worship should look like. And it's not chaotic. It's not emotionally driven. It is driven by principles of truth that lead us and how we connect with God at a heart level. So in one sense, this is true corporately. We should be doing these things, connecting with God's Spirit in here. But in another, he's, not, he's trying to get the woman at the well to look beyond just the aesthetics of worship and which mountain you worship on, and to see that you need to have a heart connection, he says in here, with Christ. I'm going to get to this in just a second. But how he ends this portion of the conversation in 26 is powerful. And it really sets the table for some other things that he'll say later. But for now, A, I want us to step back from worship and spirit and truth 
and say that it's this. Sometimes we can say, well, there's those people, and then there's the people who really worship in spirit and truth. Those are not two categories. The day you say yes to Jesus is the day you worship in spirit and in truth. You root yourself in Christ, you connect with Him at a heart level, and you walk by the precepts of the Word, and you are a worshiper. That is your design. Do you want to know what your purpose is? It's to worship God. That's your purpose. That's what you were designed. Every part, every atom in your body is designed to connect with God at a heart level and to worship Him. Now, this is not to say, so don't go home and quit your job and say, well, the pastor said I'm just supposed to worship. That's not what I'm saying. Do your job well. Labor well. But recognize that's not who you are. Your job is not your identity. Your relational status is not your identity. Your acceptability in culture is not your identity. Loved by God, worshiper of God, blood-bought by God, those are your identity. And those are the things that press us. Those are the things that drive us. And those are the things that call us to worship. And all this, Jesus is setting the table, leading her, getting her to ask these different questions. The woman said to him, finally, and you know, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, that he who is called Christ is a parenthetical statement by John, just, so, just clarifying what she's saying. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. So Jesus recognizes she's beginning to knock on the door. She's beginning to understand that there is a principle of truth. It doesn't mean that she's got a right uh, understanding of who Messiah would be. Nobody really did. That's why Jesus was such a shock to everybody. But she understands there's a principle at work here. So Messiah's coming. He's going to tell us all things. And Jesus puts a ribbon on this thing by saying this. I who speak to you am he. Now, I'll tell you how, exactly how it states it in the Greek because it's much simpler than this. I am, comma, the one speaking to you. That should set the table. Ego e me. You will see this again. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am, before Abraham was, I am. You see it right here in John 4. It doesn't get much press, but that's exactly what he says. I am the one speaking to you. Now, he's making a statement to her. Again, God is spirit. Jesus is saying, I am the Christ. And by virtue, I am Yahweh. So when it comes to worshiping God in spirit and in truth, I want to review this very quickly with you because it may, it's, it's important. It, one, it, it, it means that we come as those who have been lost in sin, rescued. That's exactly what Jesus did for her. He put her sin on display so that she could see she needed a Savior. But we also come as those who are connecting with God on a much deeper level that is more than merely external. Because I find that we Christians can tend to focus on the external so much that we miss the heart of it. That we can get so lost in music style or this style or not having this or we do too much of this or we don't do enough of that, that we miss the heart of what Jesus is calling us to be. Worshippers in our identity, 
not just when we like the music, not just when our favorite worship leader is leading, not just when blank, 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 you fill in the blank, but worshipers is what we are. And expressions of our worship come when we sing together, when we pray together, when we hear the preaching of the Word together, when we witness a baptism, when we take the Lord's Supper together, when we fellowship together, when we break bread together, when we have Bible study together and small group together. Those all become expressions of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, to be people who are bound by heart, heart bound to God, and motivated by sola scriptura, the Word of God alone. And so as Jesus is talking to this woman in the middle of the day at a well. Beloved, he's not just wanting to, he's not trying to end racism. What he's trying to do is capture the heart of a lost sheep. In other words, this is not just a story to talk about this woman who lucked up one day. This is a story that when we look at the woman in the well, she is you and she is me. She is the one who comes to a well needing something, realizing that she needs something so much more. She's coming for a glass of water, and she needs the water of life. What does this table set before us remind us of? We don't just need a morsel of bread and a sip of juice. We need life. And Christ came and made covenant with His people that we might have life, that we might worship in spirit and in truth. And so today, as we partake in the Lord's Supper together, that's what we're doing. We're reminding each other that at heart level, we are bought and paid for. And that has a ripple effect for how we live our lives, to the glory of God alone. Please pray with me. Father, thank You for this Word before us this morning, its power, its richness, its beauty. You have, if we call You Lord this morning, every person in here who calls You Lord, God, we've been bought. We have been paid for. Our lives are not our own. And we are not called to live as if nothing or things matter little or not much. That you have called us to connect with you and one another at a heart level. God, indeed, you have called us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, we come. We confess that we don't always do it. We do confess that we get caught up in the external. And so, Father, I pray for conviction, that we would be convicted when we find ourselves focusing on the external and not the heart, and that we would be people who call ourselves sinners saved by grace, Sinners now made saints, sinners who are walking in uprightness because of the mercy of Christ, and our hearts are filled with worship and singing because that is true. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.